My name is JD. I am one of the elders here at Pillar Church. Uh, it is great to be with you all this morning as we dive into God's Word together. So if you're visiting with us, I just want to reiterate what uh, Brother John said, that we're glad that you chose to join our gathering this morning. We do not take lightly or believe it was by accident that you could have been anywhere else this morning, yet you chose to come and worship with us. So I pray that as you came into the doors this morning, you felt welcomed because uh, you truly are welcomed here. So with that said, we are continuing our walk uh, through the book of Acts, which is found in the New Testament. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6. Uh, we'll be reading today verses 1 through 7. If you do not have a Bible, um, there is or should be a burgundy colored Bible under one of your chairs in your area. Uh, we'll be on page 631, 631 of those provided Bibles. Uh, we have only made it through five chapters so far in our time in this book, but I believe uh, that God has used these first five chapters to just really spurn my heart for more of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, I've read the book of Acts through many times. I've even preached it through uh, one time. But I don't think I've ever had my heart more pressed for God to give me a fervor and a passion for His church. A fervor and passion that the apostles had when they would confront sin no matter the circumstances. Proclaim the good news without fear. I pray that Spirit would give us boldness to speak the Word of God as we see the Apostles do in Acts 4.31. That the Word of God will be central to our lives and much as it was to the early church. And so as we've seen throughout these last few weeks and as we will see today, these Scriptures are what brings us and binds us together. It gives us increase in knowledge and wisdom. So for the Christian, there is no other knowledge and wisdom that is more important than what the Word of God gives to us. So let's read it together. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the elders were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The title of my sermon this morning is this, Where Unity Exists in the Church, Increase Happens. Where Unity Exists in the Church, Increase Happens. 
I imagine it probably is true of many businesses, of our lives in general, that where unity exists, increase happens. Increase happens. Just recently we've been remodeling our fellowship hall. And uh, it took a container, uh, a pretty big industrial uh, business container to put all the stuff that had accumulated into this dumpster. And uh, as we, uh, this, this building, this, this building that is here used to belong to another church called Midville Baptist Church. And in its heyday, Midville Baptist Church was a thriving local church. It was reaching the military that uh, they, they had 500 that were gathered on Sunday when it, when it, not long after it first began. So in the 1960s and through most of the 70s, it was, it was a thriving local church, reaching the military, just God was doing a work through this church. We are the closest building church to the base uh, proper that that we can um, that that is Southern Baptist in nature, and so we are we are you know we are in close proximity to the military and able to 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 reach. Midville was doing an awesome job of that, but recently, uh, as you know well know, in the last few years, about three years ago, they they decided to close their doors and offer to give the building to us. And so for the last few years, we've been kind of, we've been, we've been ministering this building. We, we just moved in beginning of uh, about middle way this year and uh, officially. And so, um, but as we, were, as we were cleaning out the fellowship hall, the pastoral offices and the, the business offices are in the back of the fellowship hall. There's offices that are back there. And, um, and in those offices uh, were business meeting notes and members meeting notes and just notes of, of that talked about things that were happening in the life of the church. And uh, as I read, I read just two or three of the business meeting notes, but one of the things that was happening was there was, there was disagreements among deacons. So, so much so that they had to intervene. The, the pastor and other deacons had to intervene between two deacons who were infighting with one another. Also, as I, as I read uh, these, these minutes, I read where, where members were disagreeing with one another. There, there was not much unity. And you could see, like from those uh, minutes that I read and from those uh, members who were giving letters of resignation because there was no good leadership and there was, there, there was no direction for where the church was going, uh, uh, you understood why after, after 50 some odd years of, of reaching the community and thriving in this area that it started to, to lose its luster and close its doors. So we must be thriving or must be striving to maintain unity. To maintain unity, not let division happen. So with that, I have three points this morning. Point number one is this. Division can happen quickly. Division can happen quickly. If you look back throughout the first few chapters of Acts... There is much rejoicing going on. Luke, the writer of Acts, has mentioned a few times that all the disciples had all things in common. This means that they were unified in everything they did. Luke says in chapter 4 that the whole church were of one heart and one soul. 
And so up to this point in our text, the church has been of one accord. And even in times when some of the church have been persecuted, it has only galvanized the believers together. And at the end of chapter 5, we see, the, the, um, we see that Peter and John re- are rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And this rejoicing and feeling of worthiness gave them and the, whole, and the church as a whole motivation to not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You see this in, in verse 42. And as a result of this, we pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, they were continuing to increase in number. The church was still growing. But now there was a problem. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And so a complaint had been made here by, by the Hellenists against the Hebrews that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we quickly go from, from the church increasing in number, having all things in common, to suddenly having to handle something that could divide the church, if not handled rightly. You see, there was already a natural divide that was happening in the early church between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. You see, Hellenists were were Jews who had been spread out because of the Jewish uh, diaspora or Jewish dispersion that happened as a result of both Israel and Judah being conquered by the Assyrians and Babylonians. As a result of this dispersion, Jews were spread out all over the land, including those in Greek, uh, those who were in Greek-speaking countries. So specifically, when you think about Hellenistic Jews, they were Greek-speaking Jews. Hebrews' natural tongue was Aramaic. So these Greek-speaking Jews were heavily influenced by Greek culture, more specifically Greek thought, customs, and religion. So to add to the nuance that Hellenists' native tongue was Greek, the Hebrews spoke Aramaic, they worshipped as Jews in different synagogues. So they would actually, the Hellenists would gather together as Greek-speaking Jews over in this synagogue, right? And then in this synagogue over here, the Aramaic-speaking Hebrews would gather together. So it was already a natural divide in their, even in their teaching, in their preaching. The Greeks, uh, these Hellenists would actually use the Septuagint, which was a was what was I'm sorry, which was a Greek um, translation of the um, of the first five books of the Bible of the Torah, while the Hebrews, the Aramaic, used the old translate the Old Testament translation in the original Hebrew. So there were linguistic linguistic there was cultural differences in the early church that if not handled in the right way, like this could be this could be a real separation of the two. This could be a new church plant that was started before, before church planting was even cool, right? As we were reading the rest of Acts. So this could be a, a dividing thing for them. So somehow in the, the busyness of ministering to these thousands that were now making up the church, 
along with the preaching and teaching uh, throughout the land, the apostles had neglected to look out for the Hellenistic widows who were not getting their daily distribution. You see, 12 ministering to thousands is just not a good makeup, right? One ministering to 50s is not necessarily a good makeup. So I think it's safe to assume that they probably, these 12 apostles, these apostles that were leading and teaching and ministering, they probably had too much on their plate. They probably had a little too much on their plate. But this, this complaint that was given by the Hellenists, like this is a legitimate complaint, right? Hey, our, our widows aren't getting fed. They're not getting their daily distribution of funds that they deserve to get. They're not being, they're not being well cared for, is what they're saying. Hey, hey, we're not being well cared for. So this is a legitimate complaint. See, the widows not being cared for is something the church should take seriously. I commend these Hellenists for speaking up and raising this type of complaint. I believe that there are some complaints that absolutely should be raised, and we need to figure out however there are uh, need to figure out those complaints. But there are some complaints that divide a church for no reason, for no good reason. So I want to give you a couple examples of complaints that could be really not healthy, and then complaints that could be be really healthy. So. Let me start with a complaint that is not healthy. So, as I said, we are, we are doing some reconstruction around here, right? And in the fellowship hall, we, we, we just painted it, right? I mean, we took it from drab to glam, right? I mean, I'm telling you. There's not many people that probably, I have not heard one person say, we chose a bad color or did a bad job. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was an upgrade as far as upgrades go. However, I do understand that someone could walk in there one day and go, why in the world did they choose this color? Like, why would they choose this color? Like, I mean, it, just, it doesn't make... To us, to people who are members here and walk in that fellowship hall every day, we know why we chose that color, right? We know why it was chosen. Because, I mean, it was dark to light. I mean, it's just like that, you know, just by adding some light gray and white to it. And so, uh, and so I can imagine a day when someone will come in and go, you know, why did they choose this paint? This is crazy. Like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something to somebody, you know. So they, so they come to somebody and say, hey, why, why did y'all choose this paint? I don't, I don't really get it. Well, well, before it was wood paneling, it was brown, it's kind of dark. So I wanted to go with something light that was good, kind of brought it out. We needed something that was lighter. You know, it's like, but that's not a good enough answer. So what they decide to do is they decide to, to, to come together in a member's meeting. You know what? It's kind of bothering me. It's, it's just kind of festering underneath. Like, why, why did they choose that color? And so we come into a member's meeting. And, uh, we, you know, usually at the end of a member's meeting, one of the things that we say is, hey, who, who, does anybody else have anything to add? Are there any saved rounds that we need to, to get out? Like, is there anything that anybody needs? You know, I can just imagine a day where a hand's going to go up, right? Like, hey, I just have a question. Like, why did we paint the fellowship hall a light gray? I don't know the color. Like, why do we not paint it mauve? What color is mauve? I don't know. I just chose it. I have no idea. It sounded good. It sounded really cool, but I didn't. I have no idea what color mauve is. But what, why didn't we cut? Why didn't we paint it mauve? Why did we not choose mauve? And, you know, and all of a sudden, a couple other people go, "Yeah, why didn't we choose mauve?" 
And the next thing you know, we've got a we've got a dissension among the ranks over a color of paint that is on the wall. And if you think that I'm being facetious or joking, there have been less things that have divided a church. There have been less things that have divided a church. I read of a church that was a couple of centuries old that split because of a park bench in a garden. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's real. It's real. One, uh, uh, one person brought a complaint that the, that the bench should be moved from one spot of the garden to another. And the church divided. That's a shame. It's a shame. And so one complaint, that we look at this and go, hey, complaint by the Hellenists, right? It's a legitimate complaint. But let me tell you something. There are good complaints to bring, but there are bad complaints to bring before the church. church things that can divide the church for no good reason. And here's the thing. Satan loves nothing more than to see a church divided within itself. It doesn't matter if it's a paint on a wall. It doesn't matter if you got your feelings hurt by another member. It doesn't matter if we decided to use chairs over pews. He wants nothing more than to divide ourselves. You see, Satan prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he can deceive and destroy. You see, I don't think we take this idea seriously enough. As Christians, we don't guard ourselves well enough against the devices of Satan. You see, Satan loves nothing more than to use our own selfish ambition to see things done the way we want them done. But that's not what the gospel of Jesus Christ, not what His church is founded on. The church is about self-giving, not selfish ambition. Our ambition should be to see Jesus made much of and ourselves to be made less. That's the gospel. Satan divides us because we get this backwards. We, he has used this method for centuries to divide our churches where we are more and the gospel is less. But shame on us if that's true in our lives. I pray that it would not be the case for us. So a complaint that I think, some complaints that I think are healthy. A widow not being cared for is a healthy complaint. We have many widows in our church that need to be cared for. They need to be loved well. Meet one. Find out what they need. Love on them. Care for them. Help them. Love them. Read the Word with them. Pray with them. Our goal as a church, our need as a church, our desire as a church should be to care for our widows. That is a legitimate complaint if they are not being cared for. A brother or sister not being discipled the way they need to be is an actually great complaint. Hey, I am not being discipled the way that I would love to be discipled. Would you help me? This is a legitimate and healthy complaint that we, that we want and desire and need to address. So if you're, if you're here this morning and, and you want to be discipled more, I want to be poured into, I want to be helped, I want to, I want to learn what it means to be a better follower of Jesus, help us. 
Help us to help you to to know what it means to follow Christ well. Hurting marriages. It's a complaint you should bring to the church or to the elders. My marriage is hurting. We need some help. We need some recentering. We need some guidance. We need some wisdom. So I think you get the idea. The color of our walls, the color of our carpet, the color of our chairs, it's of little significance. It's of little significance. Your welfare and your spiritual growth are everything. So here's my suggestion to you this morning as we read this passage. Just this one verse. My suggestion to you is that you do not suffer in silence. If it is a matter of us taking care of you better, you have to let us know. Whether discipling, whether marriage counseling, whether uh, being cared for as a widow, whether uh, not having your needs met in your units and you need some families a long ways off and I just need some family. I need to have a good hot cooked meal. Uh, You should bring that to us. So do not let it sit and fester where anger and bitterness can take root. Like I'm, my needs are not getting met. Like right, there's a legitimate complaint for that. If your needs are spiritual, if this church and, and us as leaders are not meeting your needs spiritually, you need to let us know, because anger, frustration, bitterness can grow in our lives. Donald Rumsfeld, former Secretary of Defense, had this to say when addressing a reporter when asked if the intelligence they had on regarding terrorism was being shared adequately. And here's what he said. You don't know what you don't know. Seems simple enough, right? You don't know what you don't know. But here's what he was saying. We can only know what has been communicated to us. Don't assume that the leadership or other members know your concerns. Don't assume that. Because they don't. I live in my house. I, 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 live, I live in our house with my wife and our, our beautiful kids. And many times I have assumed things wrongly in our marriage. And I live with her, right? Don't expect that I'm going to be a mind reader and know exactly what's going on in your lives. Okay? So just to belabor this point, a little more. I'm going to give you an illustration because I want you to understand the healthiness of communicating clearly as it pertains to maintaining unity and, and, and forward progress. So I want, to, I, want, I want you to understand this, this point. See, I've sat through many marriage counseling sessions where the husband or wife complains of unmet needs. I have unmet needs. Almost always when the question is asked, have you communicated this to your spouse? Have you communicated this clearly to your spouse? The answer is he or she should already know. Right? He or she should already know my needs. I shouldn't have to communicate them. But I want to help us out here. There are none of us that are mind readers. None of us. Right? We need to communicate clearly what our needs are and where others are falling short. This is not just a marriage analogy, but 
a focus on clearly communicating our needs to one another as we love one another well. And that's what the Hellenists did here. They, they brought it before the church or before, or before the apostles and they said, hey, we are not getting our needs met. We are not receiving our daily distribution. There is a divide here. We need your help. And so there was clear communication, clear path that was here and said, hey, I need your help. Unity takes a long time to create. It takes a long time to create unity. It takes hard work to maintain unity. So it takes a long time to create it. It takes hard work to maintain it. It takes a minute to divide it. A minute. All it takes is a complaint, a division can happen in a moment. Guard yourselves. Satan loves nothing more than to divide us. Guard yourselves against division. My second point is this. Number point number one was division can happen quickly. Point number two, devotion to the church and her gospel brings unity and destroys division. Devotion to the church and her gospel brings unity and destroys division. So when I use the word church here, devotion to the church, do I mean this building? Say that again, Joshua. No, sir. I don't. I do not mean this building that we're gathered in. This building is not the church. You've heard Brian say it before, but when people ride by and go, there's Pillar Church, it's not true. Not many people ride by here, but I mean, you have to be lived back here, but I mean, it's not, a, it's not a main thoroughfare back here, as you see. But if they pointed to the church and said, there is Pillar Church, they would be wrong. You see, this building is not Pillar Church. Pillar Church is the people who have joined together. They've covenanted together to know Jesus and to make Him known. The church is not like a family. This church is not like a family. We are a family. We are a family loving one another. We are bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit through the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of this binding together, we devote ourselves to build one another up, to, to spur one another on to good works. And as I was thinking of how I could articulate this kind of devotion well, I didn't really have to think or look too hard. You see, it's, it's actually laid out in our membership covenant. In the second paragraph, I'll read this. We, Pillow Church, commit therefore by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and peace to promote its maturity and fruitfulness, to sustain its corporate worship ordinances and discipline, to regularly assemble together to worship God and mutually build one another up in Christ, to welcome and test instruction from the Scriptures by the elders of the church, which, do, which accords with the statement of beliefs, to faithfully attend members' meetings, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, 
the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. That is what we are bound together to do. This is what it means to devote yourselves to the people, to the church that, uh, that make up Pillar Church of Jacksonville. This idea is important because it is exactly what helps the early church maintain unity and, and destroy any disunity that may have arisen at this time. You see, the twelve apostles, they summon the church. And they have this special called business meeting. Look at, look at verse 2, members meeting. Look at verse 2. So, so the, the disagreement comes, the complaint comes. The twelve, they summon the full number of the disciples. So they summon the what? The church. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we, as the apostles, as the leaders, as the preachers and teachers, we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the Word, and see what they said to please the whole gathering. There was uniting around the very Word of God, around the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they, they called the assembly together. They proclaimed to them that, that it's not a good idea for them to stop preaching the Word of God. And obviously this is true as the church has been increasing in number, increasing in its stature, increasing in its godliness and holiness since its inception because the Holy Spirit has been opening hearts to the gospel through the preaching of the Word. You see, the apostles asked the brothers and sisters gathered for this large members meeting. And they asked them to pick out seven men with good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and then the apostles will appoint them to duty and serving. And the whole gathering was pleased. There was unity in the church around the Word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice that there is church order that is actually happening here. That's something that not... I mean, that, that doesn't sound really appealing to us, right? Like, who, who, who enjoy here... Who, who here enjoys talking about church order? How we function as a church. Who actually enjoys that? No one? Some people? Maybe, that don't want to raise their hands, it's okay. You see, the apostles summoned, the members decided, and the problem was solved. Do you see that? The apostles gathered, the members, hey, you make the decision. You decide, and we'll appoint. Because there was a right order to things, unity was maintained, and care for the widows was restored. These Hellenists were now happy. You see, we should value this in our churches. We should value this kind of order and this kind of uh, way things are laid out for us because it's easy for us to, to make decisions. The Bible actually spends, as much as we don't actually like to talk about how our churches are ordered well, the Bible spends a lot of time talking about it. Describing how churches should be structured in reference to church offices and church order. 
So one of the questions that the elders get asked quite often is, why do you do church the way you guys do it? Why do you guys have it set up the way that you have it set up? Why are you structured the way you are? Why do you allow the members of the church to make final decisions in some areas? Like, why do you allow the membership to actually make decisions for the church? That seems foreign to a lot of people. It actually seems confusing to a lot of people because why would you want this many people in a room to actually make a decision? The answer is because the Bible does it. It's not because we want to do it that way. I think if we wanted to do it that way, it would be a lot easier for us as, as four of your elders who lead this church in certain areas, right? It would be a lot easier for us to make decisions if we could just make the decisions and move on. But we just don't see that happen in the church, in the Bible. So how are we structured? I think it's helpful to talk about how we're structured. So we, are, we have two offices Two official offices in our church. And we think that the Bible describes. So we don't make them up. One of those is the office of elder, right? So elder, pastor, overseer. He has four responsibilities. His first responsibility is to teach sound doctrine. Second is to provide overall direction. Third is to administer redemptive discipline. And fourth is to model lives of distinction. The second office is that of a deacon. A deacon's responsibility is there to lead in serving the church in an exemplary way as an example for other members to follow. So we are led by elders. We are not elder ruled, as you may hear in some churches. We are led by elders. We are served by deacons. And we are congregational. This means the congregation, uh, the church's members, those who are covenanted together, as I read early, earlier, has authority over certain areas and decision points in the church. So the congregation has final decision ma- over matters of disputes between Christians, matters of doctrine, discipline, and membership. Disputes, doctrine, discipline, and matters of membership. So why do we do it this way? Well, you know, we have this example here in Acts 6. Seems pretty clear the church members, not the apostles, made the final decision of whom they would appoint. There were specific servants who were now given specific tasks that they could lead in. But it's not just here in this uh, in Acts chapter 6 that we see. We see this type of order seen in the book of Matthew where the keys to the kingdom belong to the congregation as a whole, to the members of the church. We see 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 describe the qualifications of the two offices of elder and deacon laid out for the church to use as guidance to go by in appointing who will lead and serve our church. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to guess. It's beautiful. It's, it's a great thing of why we structured the way we structured. Let's go read the Bible together. That way the four elders or any of the members of the churches who get asked, hey, why, are y'all do, why do y'all do it this way? You don't have to get, we don't have to have ten different answers to do it. We have continuity in the Word of God that guides us and helps us to know why we do what we do. So this time of the year, 
Like we, we at our next members meeting here on November 22nd, like every November, one of the things that we ask the congregation to do is to identify, take a couple of months before our next members meeting in January and identify who you believe, uh, men and women, who you believe meet the qualifications of our two offices, right? Who meets the qualifications? So, so men will serve in elders and men and women serving as deacons. Who meets, that, who meets those qualifications? And you actually write down and you appoint and you help us to decide who would be uh, who, who, who you would nominate to be in those positions based on your relationships and your knowledge of other members in the church. And this has been a beautiful process. It's helped us immensely as elders in making decisions of, of who our next elders are and who our next deacons are. And, 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 and you make the final decision on those as the elders bring them before you, uh, bring them before us. And so... Uh, um, as the elders bring them before you. So if you notice back in Acts chapter 1, uh, one of the things that happened was as, as the 11 uh, apostles gathered together, there were 12, but one of them had committed suicide and left them, right? Um, but but there, was, there was a hole. They, they needed, another, they needed another, um, uh, another apostle. And so what do they do to, to figure out who would be their next apostle? What do they do? They cast lots, right? They cast lots. Why don't we do that today? Because we have... What did you say, Mike? Because we don't know how. That might be true. That might be true, but I would venture to say we now have the church. We don't have to cast lots anymore. We don't have to go through and see who, who draws the shortest straw, the longest straw, whichever one it is. We have the knowledge and the wisdom of members gathered who help make decisions. And it's a beautiful thing. We don't have to, we don't have to hope that the Lord, um, or, or trust in the Lord that He would give us the right straw to pull. We are able to do this together. So the congregation, the congregation makes the final decision. And so they bring, look at it, they bring Stephen, chapter 5. They choose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We'll see a, a lot more about him in next week's sermon. We see Stephen, we see Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. These seven men, right, that was chosen by the church. Here's the cool thing about these men. They were actually Hellenistic Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. So the congregation, in her wisdom, chose men who would make sure that these Hellenistic Jews, these widows, would be taken care of. Like God, in His infinite wisdom, was making sure that these people would be taken care of. They would be well cared for. So point one, division can happen quickly. Point two, devotion to the church and our gospel brings unity and destroys division. Devotion to the church and her gospel brings unity and destroys division. Look at what they were, look at what they were centered around. What do the apostles say? It is not right that we should what? Give up preaching the word. 
Like, look at what God is doing. He is bringing increase. He is multiplying us. He is, he is expanding us. He is, through the preaching of the word, people are coming to faith in droves. We can't stop doing this. And so they make these decisions based on the fact that the gospel, the word of God, and we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. The apostles knew the importance of continuing to vote their time in the Word and to prayer. And we should all strive to do that. But the church understood like, yes, you should not be serving tables in this way. But you should commit to studying the Word of God and to commit yourself to praying. And it's a unifying thing to surround the church around the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would be made known throughout. It says we devote ourselves to this. We devote ourselves to the church and to the Gospel because it brings unity. last point I have is this. So divisions can happen quickly. Devotion to the church and the Gospel brings unity. Destroys division. Point number three. Disciple-making results in multiplication. True disciple-making results in multiplication. A disciple is someone that is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Because you have accepted His free gifts of grace, His free gift of mercy, and the promise for eternal life. See, to be a Christian means to be a disciple. A follower of Jesus. The word disciple means follower. You're going to follow something. It's just the way it is naturally. We follow things that we like, we love. As a Christian, you are to be a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I enjoy doing as a pastor, is helping other brothers and sisters to follow well in their love and affection and obedience of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus in giving the Great Commission, He doesn't just call me as your pastor. He doesn't just call the other three pastors that we have to lead in disciple making. He calls all of us through the Great Commission, He calls us to go and make disciples. To baptize them, to teach them, to instruct them in all wisdom, right? Of how to live this Christian life together. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to go and make more followers. So we ourselves as a church should be learning to follow Jesus we should be bringing others along in our following, in our leading, in our loving of Him. We need to be intentional in seeing the Word of God increase in our lives and in the lives of others. Look at verse 7. Because of this decision, because of this order, because of, of, of how the apostles handled this situation, and there was unity behind it, Look what Luke, the writer of Acts, says. The Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. 
And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I don't want you to miss Luke's point here, is that as the deacon served, and as the church maintained its unity, the apostles, those who are called to go out and make disciples, not just capital A apostles, those twelve, but others who were called and sent, were able to focus on the ministry and the prayer of the Word. And this allowed for increase and an increase that happened in multiplication. So this word increase here does not just mean the numbers grown. This word also means to be built up. So the disciples here, the church, wasn't just growing in number, but they were being built up. They were growing in stature. They were growing in knowledge. They were growing in the wisdom of the Word of God. And if you're here this morning and you're, you find yourself not growing, not increasing, not being discipled, not being a good follower of Jesus, I encourage you to let us know. To not walk in silence in this. Because we should all be following and discipling. We should all be increasing not decreasing. We should all be growing in our love and affection of the Lord. Like it is not something that we just walk through day by day. Yeah, I'm a Christian. What does that look like in your life? Well, I can't really say. It's not the answer. It looks like this. And you can give a, a true, right response for what it looks like in your life to be a Christian. To walk in the newness of life. What your life has been like since God, God came into your heart, transformed you, renewed you by the power of His Holy Spirit to help you walk in a way that is worthy of your calling, as Paul says. The Christian life is not one of stagnant growth. The Word of God, the Word of the Lord should be transforming us, should be growing us that we may be increasing in wisdom and stature as our Lord Jesus did. And where unity exists in the church, where this unity exists, increase is going to happen. Increase is going to happen. Where elders are allowed time to devote themselves to prayers and the ministry of the Word, where, where deacons can serve the church and, and free the elders to do this well, where members of the church are devoting themselves to one another, where caring for one another and we're loving one another well, it's unifying. If we do this and, and we grow as Christians and we grow in our wisdom and stature as Jesus did, we too will live lives being changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gospel, as it, as it enriches our hearts and it, as it helps us to, to push aside our own indifferences, our, our own uh, self-ambition, our own goals that we have, if we're able to push those aside and that, that Jesus would be made more and I would be made less, man, that is unifying. It is transformative. 
Not only in here, but to those who are outside. It's a unity that could reach not just our neighbors, our families, and our co-workers, but it can reach those in high places as it did the priest. Like Luke didn't leave this out. Look what Luke puts here in the last part of chapter 7. Like it's just kind of an add-on, right? There was increase. There was multiplication. Oh yeah, a great many priests were coming to the faith. Like this gospel was going to places they never thought. They probably didn't think it could actually go. Imagine. Imagine the gospel going to the highest places of the military. To the highest places of the military. Or to the highest places in your office. Because of your faithfulness to proclaim it to the few that work around you. And then God's able to use that transformation that's happening in the lives of those around us to spread even to the highest places in, in those, of those in office. Just like Brian preached last week. We, we cannot doubt that miracles and um, just that miracles and God doing more than we could ever ask or imagine can happen. We can't doubt that it can happen. Transformation can happen anywhere. To our most hard-hearted neighbor, to our most hard-hearted co-worker, who you think never would be saved, that would never listen to me, share the gospel, has just had his marriage wrecked by adultery, and he just might listen. God softens our heart in different ways. Yet, we have to be faithful. We have to be faithful in our proclamation to go and make disciples. And that God would bring about multiplication as we increase and grow, that multiplication would happen. Not just churches being multiplied, but the gospel being made known, making Jesus made known, would actually be multiplied through our efforts. I pray that it would happen. I pray that we would feel the weight of it. That we would be bold in our, in, in our going. That we would not be fearful of man. That we would not trust in our own flesh because our flesh is weak. But we would actually trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to, that He can tra transform that He can soften the hearts. That He can change those and transform those and open eyes and ears to the good news of who He is. I pray that you trust in that. I pray that you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. As we get ready to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. His body broken, His blood shed for those who would put their faith and trust in Him. 
I pray that we would not forget who we were before you came into our lives. We were a broken people, obstinate of the gospel, obstinate of the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet, you have transformed us. We heard it proclaimed to us. We received it because of your Holy Spirit. And now you have changed us and transformed us. And you are, uh, as Romans says, you are renewing our minds daily because of the Word of God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to grow, to give, that you would give increase. Not just numerically, Lord, that you would give increase in our lives by the Word of God, that you would help us to grow in it. As Christians, we would, we, we, would, we would desire your Word. We would desire more of you and your Gospel. That all these things in the world, as Ecclesiastes lays out for us in 12 chapters, is, is nothing. It leaves us wanting. Sin leaves us wanting you Leave us wanting nothing, nothing more. We have found our hope in you. We have found a fervor and a passion through your Spirit in helping us. Lord, give us that fervor. Give us that passion. Would you? Would you? Uh, would you give us that desire to see others come to know you? Forgive us of our sins where we have shirked back in fear from man. Give us boldness that we cannot help but to proclaim your good news of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.